Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Azrin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, I'd like to start off with a mini announcement. It's not really an, an announcement per se, but it's something I'm excited about. And it is that I have resumed my Mandarin and my Gujarati studies. Yay! <laughs> if uh, you haven't been listening to the podcast for very long, you might not know that I am currently learning two different languages, one of which being Mandarin, the other one is Gujarati. Gujarati is a language you possibly haven't heard of. It's a language spoken in India, in one part of India. It has roughly speaking, I think it's something like 70 million speakers. And then Mandarin, well, we can assume that you've heard of Mandarin. <laughs> okay. Now, I've been learning Gujarati technically my whole life because it is my heritage language. My entire family speaks it, and I have spoken it my entire life growing up. But I've been actively studying it as an adult since 2018. My focus has been on learning to read, learning to write, expanding my vocabulary, and I would say also on learning a more standard dialect because my family speaks a, a slightly different variant of Gujarati. And so I wouldn't understand people, most people from India. And so those have been the primary focuses that I've had. On the Mandarin side of things, I started back in 2016, in the fall of 2016. So it's been almost eight years to the day, I'm sure, at this point, because it's the fall of 2022 right now. And that's a language I started from scratch. I had never learned it before. I had never learned an... Um, even anything remotely similar. And so in both languages right now, I have roughly the same level. I have this mid-intermediate level in both approaching a, an upper-intermediate level. I had taken a break from learning these languages for approximately three or four months, something to that effect. And uh, that's pretty typical. These two languages, I've learned them in spurts. So I might study it for five months and then stop for three months, study for four months again, stop for two months, kind of an on and off sort of process. And so as of yesterday, I resumed my study of Gujarati and my Mandarin studies will resume next week. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to share how I'm going about learning those two languages and also give you a couple of practical pieces of advice based on how I am choosing to study currently Mandarin and Gujarati. Okay, so for these two languages, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking four lessons a week with a private instructor. The lessons are pretty short. They're 30 minutes long. I do Gujarati on Tuesdays and on, no, sorry, Sundays and on Mondays for half an hour. And then I do Mandarin on Tuesdays and Thursdays for half an hour each day. The focus of my lessons right now are more on listening and reading. Primarily listening, though. So what will happen is I'll find a video or an audio to listen to. Sometimes I'll listen between the lessons. Sometimes I'll watch. I'll, we'll do it in class together with the teacher. And whenever there are unfamiliar words or expressions I don't know, I will pause the video or audio and I'll ask the instructor, what was that sentence? What was that word? I don't know what that means. The instructor then explains it to me. I write it down and then I continue playing the video or the audio. My future plans is essentially to do the following. It, will, it takes about two to four lessons to finish one video or audio. After we finish one together, I would like to write something 
write an article, a blog post, an essay, a personal response, journal entry, some form of writing. I'm not picky. It could even be a story. It doesn't actually matter. But write something that is related to the video or audio that I consumed. For instance, right now I'm in my Gujarati class. I'm consuming a video with my teacher about meditation. And there's a lot of new words that I'm unfamiliar with that I'm learning. Once I finish the video, I might write a half page or a one page, let's say, personal response where I will describe how I do my meditations. And then I will have that corrected by my teacher. We'll correct it together in class, fix grammar errors, phrase things a bit better, so on and so forth. Once I finish the written assignment, then I'd like to do a discussion in Gujarati based on the topic of meditation. So the, I'll have the instructor prepare different conversation questions for us to discuss together. Once we've cycled through all of that, I'm going to, or rather my instructor and I are going to rinse and repeat the whole cycle. We'll listen or watch, watch something together. We'll pause when needed, when there's words or phrases I don't understand. Then I will write some sort of written assignment. We'll correct it together. Then we'll do a spoken discussion based on whatever we whatever we uh, watched or listened to together. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I think for those of you that have, I would say an upper beginner all the way to, well, upper beginner and, and above in many ways, upper beginner and above level in a language, this is a pretty good class structure to follow, whether it's with a private instructor or even just with even if it's just like a language exchange partner and not a fo not a formal teacher. Because that kind of class structure is really easy to coach. It's really easy to coach your language exchange partner or a friend or a casual buddy who's helping you out. It's easy to coach them through that. They don't have to be a qualified teacher in order to do that. My Gujarati teacher, for example, right now is not a Gujarati teacher. She's just a Gujarati lady who speaks English and Gujarati both fluently. And so I just told her, hey, this is what I want to do. You won't have to prepare anything. I'm going to send you the videos I want to watch. I'll send you the audios I want to watch. This is the class structure. This is what I want to do. You'll never have to prep very much because I'm going to bring everything we need. And they just go, well, okay, cool. <laughs> so that's really great, especially if you're learning a language that maybe doesn't have qualified instructors or maybe doesn't have very many qualified instructors. It might be something you want to store in the back of your brain because that's an easy enough class structure to follow. I'm going to use that basically the same structure for Mandarin. At some point for both languages, I'm going to switch a little bit. I'm going to switch up from doing listening and listening practice to reading practice. So instead of watching a video together with the teacher, writing something about it and, and then discussing it, I might read something and then write something about what I read and then um, discuss whatever I read. This is because reading and listening have different benefits. Listening is great for, well, obviously listening comprehension. It's good for training your ears to get used to different people's ways of speaking. It's good for giving you a model to imitate on how to speak. If you see how someone else talks, it creates in the back of your mind an image of how people talk in that language and you can imitate it much easier. And it's pretty good for vocabulary. But reading, for instance, is excellent for, well, it's way better for vocabulary. 
when you read, particularly if you read non, no, particularly if you read fiction, it's way better for your vocabulary than listening is. Reading bar none is the best thing you can do to increase your vocabulary, bar none. And so at some point, I'll switch over to reading. When I look at how I'm learning Gujarati and Mandarin right now, there are a few things I think that can benefit the people listening to today's podcast episode. The first one is understand that taking 30-minute lessons is okay. You don't have to take your standard 60-minute lesson. Many people, when they think about language classes, in fact, many classes and meetings in general, they might default into a 60-minute session. They default into thinking, oh, it should take an hour, and one hour class, one hour this, one hour that. Well, it doesn't have to be. It can be 60 minutes. It can be 90 minutes. It can be 75 minutes. It can be two hours. Heck, it can be three hours. It can be 45 minutes. It can be 30 minutes. Really, I would say if you're going to take a class, the minimum length of time probably should be 30 minutes. And the maximum, God, I don't even know if there is a maximum, apart from the fact that you have to sleep. You can take a four-hour class. Funnily enough, something I've thought about in my mind is to do long classes, one class a month, five hours, one class a month, four hours, instead of a weekly class. There, are, I think there are benefits to that. Maybe I'll dedicate a whole podcast episode in the future to that topic. So the lesson duration does not need to be 60 minutes or it doesn't have to be long. 30 minutes can go a long way. For me, there's two, there are two reasons why I'm doing 30-minute lessons. The first one is it's easier to fit in my calendar. I usually schedule things in my calendar in 15, 15 or 30-minute increments. So, well, 15 to 45, actually. So, for instance, most of the classes I teach, they're 45 minutes. I will take 30-minute meetings. Some of my meetings are 15-minute meetings. I will schedule certain things in my calendar that take about 15 minutes, and I plan for them to take 15 minutes. So it's very difficult in my calendar to find a 60-minute block of time that's available. That's not easy, per se. And so I found it much easier to squish in a 30-minute block. And the second reason that I'm doing 30-minute lessons is that I like the fact that if, instead of, if I do two 30-minute lessons, I use the language on two separate days instead of one day a week for one hour, I actually get two days where I have to use the language. I'm forced to use it because frequency in terms of, how do I say this? Using the language, huh, how do I say this? Using the language as many days as possible in a week is very beneficial, I think, for many people. There's exceptions to that, but if you can, if you can manage it, doing something every day or five days a week or three days, whatever it is, if you can maximize the number of days you practice the target language, that is going to benefit you. Interestingly, as I've learned more about neuroscience recently on the podcast, I've been talking about that. As I've learned more about it, I think it probably makes sense to do something every day or as frequently, as many days as you can to practice your target language. Because when you sleep is when the bulk of your learning actually happens. Sleeping is when your brain stores all the information you learned in the day. So if you do 60 minutes on a Monday, and then you sleep, and then you wake up on the Tuesday, 
the 60 minutes is locked into your brain, but I feel like if you get two sleeps, like you do 30 minutes one day, sleep, 30 minutes another day, sleep, I could be wrong. I'm just speculating. Something about that feels like you'd be learning perhaps more than if you did 60, 60 minutes just on one day. Perhaps. I might be wrong, but it feels like that as I'm speculating. The other thing that's worth pointing out when you just look at how I'm learning Gujarati and Mandarin um, would just be the fact that uh, I'm taking an approach that has a good balance between input and output. So I'm doing lots of listening and reading, but I'm also doing lots of speaking and writing. So it's balancing input and output. Everyone needs to find their own balance between input and output. There isn't necessarily the best answer, I don't think. But I think a good balance, some sort of balance between input, in other words, listening and reading, and output, in other words, writing and speaking, I think some kind of balance is probably good for most people. Last but not least, I would like to point out, this is something I've always done as a language learner, is I like to incorporate other people in my process. I like to be talking to native speakers. I like to try and make friends. I like to have a real connection with native speakers or at least advanced speakers. I do like that. I find that it helps me learn a lot faster and and it enriches and deepens my learning process overall. Okay, so I want to switch topics for the last five minutes or so, and I would like to talk about some dreams. Okay, I pre-warn you, this has nothing to do with language learning, but as you know, I like to switch things up on the podcast and I like to talk about language learning things, but also things in my personal life. So it's been about, what, a week, maybe two weeks, that I have shifted my sleeping schedule. I think I mentioned this before. I learned through the, Huber, the Huberman Lab podcast that most people who think they're night owls actually aren't night owls. They're just getting light at the wrong times of the day. And they're not, so basically they're not getting enough sunlight, direct sunlight in the mornings. They're not getting sunlight late afternoon and they're getting too much artificial light at nighttime. And so that throws their sleep schedule, throws their body clock out of whack. And so when people change that, apparently the vast majority of people, not everyone, but most people will find that they sleep earlier and they wake up earlier. And in my case, that that was exactly right. So now I'm waking up for the first time in my entire life, waking up and awake at about 7.50, between 7.50 and 8 a.m. every day. And I sleep at about midnight every day, roughly speaking. And uh, it's pretty interesting. Now, as I've shifted how I structure my days, when I get sunlight, when I get artific artificial light, when I shut off my work, so on and so forth, and how I spend my, my morning and my nighttime routine have changed too. When I've made some of these changes, I'm finding that I'm dreaming virtually every night. Now, I've dreamt a lot before, too. I, I, I just didn't dream every night. I didn't actively feel like I remembered the dreams every night. I've had crazy dreams, by the way. I can literally start a podcast about the kinds of dreams I have. But lately, it's every night I dream. Uh, so much so I've decided, I'm thinking about starting a separate podcast or even doing it on my podcast, where I create like a dream diary and I talk about the dreams I'm having, just as, as a way for me to keep a record of it. What's unique about the dreams I'm having is that every single dream is clearly there to teach me something. That's the weird thing. I'll, I'll give you an example. 
So I had a dream uh, last night, and I don't remember all the details because, as you guys know, it's sometimes tricky to remember all the details, but here's the gist of it. The gist of it is someone had given had given me a car. They loaned me a car for some reason, and I needed it. They said, hey, they said, hey, I'm giving you this car. I need it back by this day, this time. Um, here's why I need it back by this day, this time. If you don't give it back by this day, this time, there's going to be this penalty. There's these fees. There's this, that, the other thing. Kind of like a rental car. Like if you go to a rental car agency and rent a car, there's a rate to rent the car. If you don't return it by a certain day, there's extra fees. If you damage the car, there's these fees, so on and so forth. Okay. I don't know why I needed the car. I don't remember. But here's the twist. I rented this car basically from some kind of a mob or maybe it was a loan shark. Like the, it was, I felt like it was a mob, but it was the loan shark of a mob or something like that. It was very mob-like. Think of like an Italian mob or Al Capone or something like that. Okay, so if I didn't return the car, then I would have this ridiculously high fee, incredibly high. And if I seriously caused caused the mob any problems, they would beat me up or who knows what they would do. So I get this car and I'm supposed to return it to the airport. I'm supposed to take it to the airport by a specific day. And for some reason, I missed the deadline. I don't know what happened, but I missed the deadline and the mob was mad. They're really angry. And they're like, yo, Azar, I'm like, come on, man. Well, now you got to owe all this money. And I think the rate was like $150,000 or $1.5 million. It was a really exorbitant amount of money that I owed. And they needed this car back because they were going to use the, they were going to, this car for some reason, if the mob sold it by a certain day, they would make a ton of money off this car. But if they missed that day, the car's value was dropped. And so I had to take the car to the airport so they could fly the car to whatever country and then sell the car in that country. It was something like that. And somehow I missed the deadline. And uh, they're like, and they're like, well, Azrin, listen, like, we can't sell that car anymore, so you got to pay us $1.5 or some ridiculous amount. I negotiated with them, and I said, hey, look, like, I'm really sorry. This happened, this happened, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you need the car by a specific date. What if I – it was something like what if I get it in that location before the deadline? It was something like that. But there was also something to do with the car race. I just don't know what the racing part of it is. I don't remember. But the, the main point is I had to get I had to do something specific with the car and get it to them at a specific place by a second deadline, and that would clean the slate. And they said, you know what? We'll give you another chance. No, no worries, man. Yeah, yeah, things happen. And they're being very friendly about it, but, you know, it's the mob, so you're, you're scared. And somehow or another, I missed the second deadline. Not only that, I think I scratched some... There was some other guy driving the car with me. I don't know who he was, but... He was driving it terribly, kind of crashed it. There was scratches on it and it was damaged and I'm freaking out. So I get to the mob and, uh, you know, I'm at the hotel, at the airport and we missed everything and they're calling me and they're mad like, yo, Azrin, we need the car now. They're not taking any excuses. They find me and they're like, yo, where's the car? And they're mad and there's a whole group of them, right? Almost like they're trying to intimidate me and possibly beat me up. And there's this kind of Al Capone looking figure who's there. He's the head of the mob, okay? And I'm trying to make excuses, like, listen, listen, this happened. And, well, it's actually not true. I wasn't making excuses. I just told them, and I decided, look, like, I'm a man of integrity. I want to get you this money, um, and, like, I'm going to pay you. But they weren't having it. They were intent on making my life miserable. 
and getting their money. So like, well, you owe this much money. So your options are, uh, you know, you work for the, you work for us and work off the debt and you work for the mob or you're not going to like what happens. So they're going to beat me up. They're going to, they're going to beat up my family. They're going to kidnap people. They're going to do really bad things. Right. And like, yeah, you're going to work for us. But the amount that I owed them was so much that I'd be working for them for years and years and years and years. It's being like locked up in jail or something like that. And it was terrible. So I was half awake near the end of the dream. So I was sort of thinking while also dreaming. So I, I could like pause the dream and sort of think, or the dream was in slow motion. And I was thinking like, what's the best thing to do in this kind of situation? And I thought, well, don't make things worse. If you're in the situation, you don't make things worse. So do you cave and work for the mob? Or do you say no and you, and you, you say, no, I'm saying no. And I'm going to let the consequences be what they may be. They're going to beat me up. They're going to torture me. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And I say, you know what? I'm not going to make things worse. Working for you is going to make things worse. So anyway, I was trying to think this through and they're beating me up in the dream. And in the end, I, the dream ended and I didn't actually make a decision on what I was doing because I woke up or whatever it was. But it was so interesting that the message that I ended up with, when, it, was, it was almost like the dream was showing me something. And I had a clear message upon the dream's completion, which was, there are some mistakes you don't come back from. There are some mistakes you don't come back from. And it's not even mistakes. There's some actions you don't come back from. Most mistakes and most 99.9999999999 things you ever do, it's like you can make up for the mistake. It's a mistake and you're okay and you can make up for it. You learn from it. But there's a very small percentage of things that you could do that there's no there's no coming back from. And you have to be very careful. For me anyway, like that's a message for me for personal reasons. I'm not going to share why. But um, actually, I will share why. You know, for me, that's important because sometimes I have very low. Uh, there's a personality test that I took a while back. And uh, one of the characteristics is uh, neuroticism, which is broken down into volatility and withdrawal. Volatility means how volatile are your emotions? How up, how much do they go up and down? Withdrawal means when there's a challenge or something scary in front of you, do you just walk in or do you hold back and withdraw from it? I'm very low on both. Super low on volatility, super low on withdrawal. Incredibly low. I think I'm on like the first percentile, not first percent. I think it's like first percentile in volatility, meaning in a room of 100 people, I would be... Wait, is that how it works? There would be, I think I'd be the least, um, the most emotionally stable in a room. It's something like that, or one of the most. Either there's one person who's more emotionally stable than me, or I'm the most emotionally stable, basically. And then withdrawal, I'm like the sixth percentile or something like that. Um, and so that's good in most life situations, because when there's something that causes anxiety or something, I generally can still get myself to do it. But... I put myself in some really dangerous positions because I don't have that withdrawal. I don't have an adequate withdrawal per se. And so there's been situations where like I could have been sold into slavery at one point. That was what I thought was going to happen to me. Thank God all they wanted was to rob me. Thank God that's all they wanted. I thought they're going to sell me into slavery. That's what I thought was going to happen. Or not, like I could have died 
70 times when I was 18 because of something I was doing at my job. I, I worked a labor job and I had the window cleaning business. And there was something I was doing, one type of job I do on homes where I was doing it so unsafely. And looking back, I'm like, God, Azrin, you were asking to die. Like, what were you doing? You and your one, he's now my best friend. We, that's how we met. We were, but we both could have died like 50 times throughout that season. We were on 34 foot roofs working without a harness or anything, cleaning gutters from the roof, leaning over the edge. Like, what were we doing? I'm shocked that I only ever fell off of one roof and it wasn't even a high roof. So I didn't get hurt. And my friend fell once in four years. Like what? That's craziness. We weren't, we just, I actually just didn't know, like I was doing it unsafely, but I didn't realize at the time that that wasn't how you're supposed to do it. And like, I didn't understand. Um, I wasn't sure. And so, uh, like eventually we realized, like we didn't do it the whole season. I think we learned after a while, like, yo, that's not how you do it. We're like, oh, we're supposed to blah, 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 blah. And we started to be safer about it. But probably the first month or something of the job, roughly speaking, we weren't we weren't doing it safely. We didn't know. But if I had more like withdrawal, I might have gone, whoa, that like, hang on a sec. Think that through for a sec. That looks like a bad idea, <laughs> you know? And uh, so anyway, so for me, that dream was quite powerful. I was like, right, 99.999% of the time, the way I behave is probably correct. But there's these certain situations where I could literally make take a wrong step that kills me or ruins my life for like 20 years like in the mob i don't know why i took a loan from the mob in my dream but maybe i thought oh it's a good deal oh he looks like a respectable man like i don't know what i was thinking but so yeah i had that dream i had another dream the night before do i have time to tell you i'll tell you really quickly really fast because i don't remember as many details about it so it'll be a lot shorter uh so the the dream i had three nights ago two two or three nights ago it was something like a movie. It was almost like I was in a movie and I, it was like, yeah, it was like I was in a movie basically. And I was simultaneously in the movie, but also watching it, something like that. And it was a movie between like battling the battle of good and evil. And, uh, there's this like creature thing that even if you scratched you, you'd get infected with evil and then you would become this black, disgusting monster. And it was pretty scary to be honest that the dream was pretty scary. And, uh, there's different phases to the story. I don't remember the whole story. But I do remember two significant parts. One was everyone had sort of become all the good guys and the bad guys, if I remember correctly, had sort of been scratched by this by the bad. So the bad guys had scratched all the good guys and everyone had sort of become this bad guy, these disgusting monsters. And it was a terrible transformation and people hated it. It was painful and the you lost your mind. And But there were a couple of the of the, I can't remember if they're good guys turn bad or just bad guys, but they learned how to don the coat of being a bad guy and and not go crazy and lose their mind. And the way they did it was they fully looked at the darkness and they fully let it in and accepted it, but not accepted it as in we're going to be evil, but instead of trying to run from it in fear, they approached it in, in their own hearts with, courage in a sense of going yes i'm going to integrate this within myself so they're these disgusting monsters that are evil and whatnot but they kept their sanity it was it was a it's really hard to put into words i understand it in my brain but it's very difficult to explain into words and then there's these even more evil beings that were there and there's this final scene where they were trying to they had 
manipulated children. It was really gross and just awful. These children to do terrible things. Children are murdering people and these whatever, really bad. And then us, myself, and this group of other black, disgusting, evil beings that were not really evil, but we'd just been infected by it. And we'd learned how to not be destroyed by it. And we were kind of evil. We weren't necessarily good. Like, we would become these evil beings, but we weren't fully evil at the core, right? And then we saw these children that were being manipulated by these, you know, these terrible people. And we decided to make some kind of a sacrifice. I wish I remember what it was, but I remember thinking, ah... You know, we need to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of these children's souls. That was basically the, the, the thought that I had. And we'd made some kind of sacrifice. I don't remember exactly what we did, but, but it was in that moment that all, the, first of all, all the blackness within us was dissipated. It all dissipated. And then we started shining the same golden color we used to be when we were, when we were um, uh, the good beings, the good guys in the story. And these really awful beings, these even worse bad guys, they couldn't look at us and they burned up. And the kids that were infected with these these tear, this terrible blackness, let's call it, this terrible darkness that dissipated and then they were, they were saved. But it cost us, well, I don't know if we died because I woke up after that. I'm not sure. But it was something like, the learning from that dream is something like the power and the power of sacrifice, sacrificing for the good because we sacrifice it was a deep sacrifice it was a i remember feeling like this is a deep deep sacrifice for these children i think it was something like i can't remember what the sacrifice was but we had done something and it was it felt deep and terrifying like this is the only option to save the children i wish i remember what it was i think it might have been yeah i don't remember it was difficult to put that into words but that was one dream i had a couple days ago so anyway, I thought I'd share that. I've been dreaming every single night. And uh, it just reminds me, I, I bet you, I need to like think of, there must be a word for my daydreams. I've told you guys about my day meditations where they're basically dreams while I'm awake. And I dream these weird things in my head that show me how to live instead of telling me how to live. It's really bizarre. And now I'm getting these dreams while I sleep as well. It's really quite odd. So I, I, I can dream these things. I can literally close my eyes and start a dream right now in a sense. And I also get these dreams at night when I sleep. It's like, what the heck? Crazy, no? Um, there's other ones too that are not as dark with like mobsters and stuff. There's some that are like just more mundane. There's one where I jump out of a plane. I'm a parachutist. And I jump out of a plane. And uh, yeah, there's things from that that I've learned. But yeah. I bought a class to start soon, so let's wrap this up. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you like this podcast, and we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.